0: Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. Oh my gosh, we have a phenomenal series that's going to happen here in this like four series moment. Um, we are literally here talking about the topics that are going around and what challenges each like and every leader in an organization, each organization is facing just overall in general in this series, and really our thoughts and opinion on it. So, you know, we don't, it's not necessarily how we normally structure some of our series, although it might feel like one of our rant series. But really, these are true topics that are being discussed in the workforce. I just came out of a a strategy meeting where we talked about some of these topics this month. And I think it's just really critical for us to keep them top of mind, whether it's happening right now, And then it goes away and then it comes back. You can always reference back to this podcast and this series to really try to identify how you're going to navigate through some of these things. Hey, we aren't, you know, the I I don't even know. Michelle and I are here, but I I wouldn't say we're exactly 100 percent sure on these pieces, but. We're pretty good as far as giving recommendations on, the, on these topics. And so, you know, obviously things evolve and uh, we need to focus on that. But I think, Michelle, we are talking about a series right now. It's just you and I. I will have to say Keith is out right now getting certified in something, which I'm actually going to wait and really drop into the third episode here. So, like, it's a little bit of a teaser for you to, like, listen in on the rest of the series. But Keith's getting certified as we speak, on a phenomenal offering that we're adding to our offerings, or I guess whatever it is, right, our product um, for a lot of our clients. So listen in for Episode 3, where we're going to drop that in so that you can have the opportunity to offer it to your organization, to your team. Um, but it's really a great opportunity to um, engage from a team-building perspective. So Michelle and I are here, the dynamic duo, to talk today through really the continuation of this pandemic that's transpiring as well as all of these challenges going back to work, which is super interesting. Michelle, can we like stop talking about the pandemic? I'm so over this topic, really.
1: You know, what's so funny is that we said this <laughs> during the summer of last year. We were like, is this done yet? Are we done with this? I know. And that was only a couple of weeks in. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, you know, I think we can. And there's a couple things. And you and I want to refer back to something you said because you nailed it when you said the the changing of uh, the workforce, and that's really what we're going to focus on. Yeah, you know, what the thing is, why are we focusing on it? Because I'm sure lots of business leaders are talking about how the pandemic is changing their department, not just HR, but a lot of things HR related. So when I say HR, and Maria is pretty much in the same boat with me she may want to elaborate on this, but when we say HR, we're talking about anything related to your people strategy. And when we say people strategy, we mean how you treat the people that make your money, (laughs) the people that come to work and work for you, whether it's a product or service, or it's the folks that come in and do the job. So when we say HR, we're really talking about anything that impacts them. And This pandemic has brought to the surface a lot of issues, and most of them were very people-related. So not only is your business going to have to change, but your HR department is going to have to change. And if you don't have one because you're some of our small to medium listeners, it's time you reach out to someone, whether it's us or someone else in a consultancy perspective, because they really are very HR related. You it's interesting. I read an article the other day. Um, It was an interview of Angela Davis. Maria, you and I were talking about her just a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions in the interview was, do you think that the Black Lives Matter movement would have gained as much strength or progressed as far as it has this time. Um, And Maria, you've talked about this a number of times, like what makes this different because it's been happening for centuries, right? Would the absence of the pandemic have made a difference? And she said, basically, I'm gonna summarize what she said. She's way um, more brilliant than I am. So it probably... Sounded better coming directly from her mouth, but the basis of what she said was, she does the work always for equality because at some point in time, the world comes together in a way that makes things come or bubble to the surface. So she believes, yes, the pandemic being stuck in a house, Amplifying our watching of TV, amplifying our internal processing, amplifying the fact that we are looking at things different than we had before when we were just going through the mundane punching of the clock. Yeah, we were at times significantly worried for our, our lives or the lives of people that we care for. And many people had to learn to grieve in a very different way than we have ever in the United States. You know, In, in um, many first world countries, grieving involves a symbolic process of gathering, which you couldn't do in this. In some cases, the people you love were literally kind of put on hold because nothing could happen. And so it's all of those pieces kind of thrown together that brought this moment into place. Well, not that I'm even remotely comparing what's happening in your workforce to a human rights movement, because there's definitely a difference, but I am gonna tell you that her explanation is almost exactly what I would use for what's happening in the workforce. It's the culmination you, you may have as a business owner or an HR department or business leaders within an organization, you may have been trying to push and challenge and change things already, but it's the culmination of everything that's happened that is sort of bubbled this up to the surface and said, sorry about your luck, you can't ignore it anymore.
0: Yeah, it's been super interesting. And then, you know, you mentioned like amplifying everything, amplifying your intense feelings about your significant other that you live with and <laughs> Amplifying relationship issues. And <laughs> like we're going to all need therapy after this. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. I, I, we we joke, but I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, I know everyone seems it's like a little uncomfortable topic, which is outside of. Well, I guess it's probably a, a, an HR thing, right? We added um, EAP on to my organization And I, you know, global EAP during the pandemic. And I think that's that's a critical component because it's sometimes outside of a social norm to have those discussions about how you're feeling, you know, like, how are you doing? No, like, really, how are you doing? But, you know, going back to that, I think it's a lot of what's transpired in the pandemic has been really crucial for every for every company to identify its people's strategy and really how they're focusing on one another and really helping integrate some new social norms. Let's talk about that pandemic.
1: So here's a reality we all know, and everybody says it over and over again, you don't know what's going to happen. We don't because it's the first time anyone is experiencing this to the level that we are. What we do know is that some statisticians, statisticians, have been able to put some projections around what is happening. And in a lot of cases, those have been fairly accurate. So I think one of the things that I think a lot of companies had their fingers crossed for was returning to the office. Now, guys, we've had an episode where we talked about returning to the office. You know, our opinion on this, like personal opinions, but our personal opinions are different from our professional way of dealing with this process. So I would say one of the things that we have to look at as an organization, not just us, but you guys, as it relates to returning to work, is that the current projections are showing we will peak again in October and it will be a big peak. And that this Delta variant will have um, a significant impact, probably not as high as the first time around, but based on some of the projections that I saw, even conservative projections had two weeks of 400 deaths a day. And first of all, oh, I hate that I'm part of a world where 400 deaths a day is seen as better than the worst projection, which was significantly more than that. Um, Because 400 deaths a day is a lot of people that are going to be impacted. Okay, so that's a lot of people for you to have to suddenly reverse your stance. Like I brought you in the office for three weeks or four weeks. Oops, my bad. We're now in lockdown and you got to go again. So I think as you're making those decisions, which are probably happening over the past two weeks and the first two weeks of August, people are making those final decisions. You've got to look at what the future is forecasting to make a better long-term decision because it it does make, it frustrates people. And I know you can't run a business just to make people happy, but it, it frustrates a situation that's already frustrating It also makes you look as a leader like you're not paying attention to what things like the CDC or the World Health Organization are saying. Because if you had been, you might have said, what difference would eight more weeks make at this point? Let's just hold off and see what happens in the fall.
0: Yeah, you said a couple of things there. So, uh, you know, companies already started bringing their employees back to the office. Like, I think it was like May or something like that. Super crazy. So, you know, now they're just going to have to reverse course or take a look. And I and I realize, listen, uh, to all our listeners, I get the fact that we have essential uh, functions, you know, it's not a surprise why there's a chip shortage in the world for you know new vehicles or phones or whatever the case may be. Obviously, we need things to be produced to continue making the world go round. Got it? Yeah, you know, but if you are a white collar professional individual that doesn't have to be in the office. Why sacrifice your employee population's health or, or put it at risk? Now, that's the ISTJ in me. That's all very like black and white and like science based and facts. But, you know, Michelle, you mentioned like 400 deaths, like even one death is one death too much. And it's also one death of somebody who's potentially in a workforce that's working at a location that you then have to replace from a recruiting perspective, which we'll get into in a moment. And we probably have some listeners that believe that there's microchips and vaccines, and the pandemic isn't real. Like all of these numbers are skewed, and it's just really a flu or a cold. And listen, I I don't know how a pandemic turned into politics versus medical scientific facts. It's very interesting. But that's not what we're here to get into, whatever your belief is, your philosophy. I think at the end of the day, I think what's really critical for us to focus on are the obvious points of like how this impacts your workforce. So you know, if you're taking a look and trying to assess and like frustrated that people have to go back home or that you're maybe you're an individual listening to this, that you're frustrated you have to go back home if your employer sends you back home because you just don't do well working at home. There's too many distractions. Um, You know, your dogs are barking in the back, your two year olds running around and you'd rather just have like your significant other watch them while you go back into the office and get some relief or whatever the case may be. But I think it's really critical for us to stop and assess, you know, as as an organization, you need to assess the risk pool for your employees and how you can be very cautious and safe during that time. I
1: think, you know, it's interesting. We initially got a lot of questions about, you know, if you're that, that worker that must come to a place to do their job, that essential workforce, that it's essential that you be present at the workplace, that they would be frustrated that everyone else would work from home. We actually found in a couple of organizations that we interact with <laughs> that they were actually frustrated when we started trying to bring people back. They're like, whoop, we knew what we were doing. We would say, now you're bringing all these other people in here and we're getting exposed to all these other people. So it's exactly the way you put it, Maria. It's about removing If you have a business where people have to show up to a facility in order for work to happen and you can remove just a few points of contact, you can put up a glass barrier between people, you can separate them six feet, whatever it is you can do to keep the germs from spreading and making contact, is better for your workforce. And, you know, it's one of the things I love, Marie and I, we are so different, but we have similar values, um, which is why you'll get us challenging each other occasionally because we think from a different perspective. But we, at the end of the day, we both feel that work should be good for an employee and, a, and an owner. It should be good for both people. Businesses are there for a reason, Right. And keeping your workforce safe is good for them and it's good for your business. And guys, we're not talking about anything that we've ever talked about in HR before. I mean, there've been some instances in the past with SARS or Ebola in certain areas where you probably had intense conversations like this, but it's never been to the scale or worldwide or impacting every corner of the universe. So We're talking about life. We're talking about people's lives.
0: Let's pivot a little bit and talk through that. So an employer now loses a life or people's lives at their uh, organization, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen. But we've had a tremendous amount of situations where there have been. So at the beginning of the pandemic, people were downsizing. They were, you know, laying people off. Things happened. There were, you know, obviously recruiting situations where, you know, people are just downsizing. So there's this mass population now that's at home collecting unemployment from the United States or whatever it else, you know, in other countries that they're giving, giving, getting government assistance. So, you know, you have a mass amount of individuals that are at home. And now over the past year, you know, they've been at home. And then in the last six to eight months, recruiters are now trying to, you know, there's positions opening back up. And people are starting to like, okay, this is our new normal, like, blah, 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 right. So there's mass positions open up. It's crazy. And then you see on the news, like business owners are literally waiting their own tables, because they can't get a server hired, or, you know, there's like challenges getting people in to get hired, but also like, it's, it's just challenging finding people. It's crazy.
1: Maria, I have some friends who are recruiters and I'm convinced that they're going to call me after this and they're going to be like, quit talking about this. I'm probably not talking about my friends. Okay, <laughs> I was a part of this conversation with an HR group that I'm part of, a DE&I group, and one of my peers on that DEI group, she, she said something and she nailed it, and everybody had to pause right fast. So here's where the recruiters are getting me mad at me. You ready? If your recruiters are saying that they can't find anybody because they're making more money on unemployment, bullshit. Okay. The people that want to work, they're getting jobs. They're not getting jobs with you. They're not getting jobs with you because you no longer have an employee value proposition that makes them happy. The pandemic and the lockdown, whether you put people on furlough, whether you fired them, whatever it was, whether you made them come to work when they were freaked out, whether you communicated well with them during the lockdown and the pandemic whether you wouldn't let them work from home, even though they knew they could, whatever choices you made in 2020, it built a story in their minds about what you thought about them. And forget just the pandemic, Maria. We've talked about this as it relates to you, and i as well. And your absence of communicating a clear stance to your workforce about where you are because you didn't want to make it political first of all human rights is not political shut up it's wow there's gonna be a couple of topics i'm hot on right here and this (laughs) is one of them you told your employees your previous employees and your potential future employees who you were as an employer and they had time to think about what they wanted in their lives, and they decide they didn't want you. They decided they didn't want to have to work a mandatory seven days a week, making $12 to $13 an hour. By the way, I'm talking about manufacturing in South Carolina right now, which since the end of 2019, all through 2020, virtually every plant in South Carolina was doing mandatory overtime doing a fricking pandemic. Okay. You told your people a story. So when you finally furloughed them and they had to figure shit out while they were sitting at home, they figured out their life was worth more than that crap. And they decided not to come to work for you. By the way, this is not what the conversation sounded like with my HR peers. It was a little more pulled together, <laughs> but um, you guys know, I tend to be very honest
0: and passionate
1: and passionate. <laughs> Okay. So Maria, what do people do now? They have created, I truly believe, they either through their actions or their inability to evolve that workforces and businesses have put themselves in this place where they have told this story and they've made themselves unappealing.
0: I think there's a couple of things, right? So that you mentioned I think at some point during the early stages of the pandemic in some countries, as well as the United States, we had such a generous offer where it was the the reason people were staying home was because they were getting a very generous amount of government assistance. That is a true like fact. I think now that has significantly weaned down. Cause I think like in the U S they were getting $800 a week, like shit, I should have freaking stayed home too for that. (laughs) Where's our, um, you know, additional compensation for killing ourselves during the pandemic, working hard while the rest of the workforce was at home and we were challenged. Like, I know people are going to get mad because they were actually laid off struggling. And, you know, I totally relate to most of that, to most of that organization, but, The other people that literally have, you know, now to this point found a way to live off of less and make their means work over the last year, they figured it out in 12 months. So, you know, that's a challenge in itself. But I think you're right, Michelle. So I think there's a couple of things playing in it. If you're a recruiter challenged finding a white collar individual to work for you, It's because one of two things, a, you're, you know, you're forcing them to come back into an office, which I see literally like when I'm like scrolling through LinkedIn and that's like, Oh, like all these, like people are posting, you know, and sharing jobs. It's like, it's gotta be in an office. Like this has to be in, you know, Boston, Massachusetts in our office, this person has to live near the city and there's no remote attached to it. Like, that is not, you are not driving the EVP for somebody there, right? Like, you need to identify that that should be optional moving forward or create a flexi work policy unless you are an essential function. But if you are an essential function, I think you need to give a damn about your employees and invest in them. The issues that, like, manufacturing organizations have and other essential companies are having is, A, they're not paying people enough, especially, we're still not out of a pandemic. You want me to go work for you for seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour and then go back and potentially take that pandemic back to my kids or to my family that I live with? Because you're also not putting safety precautions in place of social distancing and mask wearing because, you know, the CDC decided they wanted to be crazy for like a minute and drop that policy and then reinstate it later. Like, I think. You know, you need to identify what's important to your employees and candidates and identify what's going to bring them in. Like, why are they not applying to your company? What are you not promoting? Well, I think that's going to be the most critical component. That's why during the last couple of months, you've seen Amazon like give $15 boosts like as their like standard to people like the issue is inflation has transpired over the years. And people have been OK with 1% to 2% increases each and every year at their organizations and living off of that while inflation has been like tremendously increasing, like, for example, in the US. And it's now an employee's choice market. They are putting their foot down and making a stance and saying, you know what? I'm not going to go back for 7.25. dollars You're going to give me $15 an hour or I walk and I can go somewhere else like an Amazon or wherever that will. And I think that's, that's exactly it. Like you're going to have to invest more in people and it's whatever their EVP is going to be.
1: Yep. You absolutely nailed it. People figured out how to stretch a dollar because they didn't have a choice. And guys, when you think about $7 an hour, who, first of all, it makes my heart hurt. It makes my heart hurt. But these people learned that they could drive for Uber and make that much money and they can pick and choose when and how they do it, who they pick up, who they turn down, what hours they work. They, they get to choose everything. They get to read, listen to, not read. They get to listen to books and educate themselves while they're doing it. Like, there's so many things that I can multitask when I'm in a car. It's one of my favorite places to be because I brainstorm in a car. I write a book in a car. Like there's a ton of stuff, right? And I'm still making money and I'm making as much money as I could with your, with your measly $8 an hour. Then you look at, you, like we talk about manufacturing a lot because manufacturing is a hard place to work, right? But retail is too. When I interact with some of my former, um, students or peers, Uh, who work in the retail industry, the way they are treated and talked to throughout this pandemic, like it's almost like, or even in the restaurant industry, it's almost like I'm frustrated. So I'm going to take it out on whoever I can. My husband is getting on my nerves, my significant other is making me crazy. My boss makes me be on zoom calls all day. And I'm homeschooling my kids in the process. I'm going to take it out on the people I work with. Um, And these are the places it's absolutely become political. I had a friend who is a um, multi-unit manager in a retail environment. Literally, I know you guys have seen these videos, but it literally happened to her where a customer who refused to wear a mask just starts coughing all in the air, trying to state her disagreement. With the CDC, I don't give a shit what your opinion is. I care about the 35 people in this particular site. That is my responsibility to take care of. So put on a damn mask or go away, shop somewhere else. But the problem is in retail, you don't get to say those things, right? So they just have to deal with the
0: nasty customer. It's because the customer is always right.
1: The customer is always wrong. <laughs> so yeah it's tough and in a lot of cases I think what not I think in a lot of cases what I've seen happening is we bring a lot of really brilliant people into a room people are really smart um, who've read all the right articles around the pandemic and what's happening people are well informed and they make those decisions without doing what you said, Maria, which is finding out what potential candidates or their current workforce is saying. And you're making the wrong decisions, guys.
0: Yeah, I think it's just it's it's great to sit up in your Ivy Tower and make these decisions. But unless you're on the front line dealing with some of the circumstances like Michelle mentioned, I think it's a little bit more it, it's different. Like you need to spend some time in people's shoes. Every time I see a video of a Karen yelling at somebody because they don't want to wear a mask, you made a choice to not wear a mask. That business owner has made a choice to not let you in if you don't wear that mask into that establishment. And same thing uh, for the, you know, flight attendants. You know, it's just it's gotten so intense that like literally there's viral videos. I feel like every day of someone getting escorted off of a plane Because they're literally arguing with a flight attendant. And let me tell you, flight attendants get paid well. They're not the $7 an hour. They get paid, you know, more than that for the hours that they're working. However, many of these things, and if you don't know, flight attendants do not begin getting compensated in most cases until the doors close. Many of these circumstances happen before they even start getting compensated because the doors are still open and people are arguing and they, like, they like just refuse to like handle those situations. These are the EVPs. If you're not equipping your staff with the tools for success to de-escalate these situations, then these are the things that these are the viral videos that are going out that are like, man, like I don't I I never want to be a flight attendant, and, you know, like, or man, I never want to, you know, be a, a manager at a grocery store or a greeter at Walmart or whatever the case may be, right? Because you're not equipping your staff with the right tools, and these videos are going viral because people are just going off the rails. So that's the frustration in the workforce. And how do you give people the right tools to help de escalate some situations or give them the tools for success just in manufacturing to get their day to day jobs done? How do you get things done? So I think those are things that you have to think about when you're talking about recruiting is what's what's not going well now in your organization and what what can work well and really talk to people.
1: So you brought up something else that um, I would be remiss not to put in a plug uh, because it is something that we do really well at Real Talent. It's something that we have been actively doing um, in a number of industries for 20 consecutive years, almost 50, 60 if you combine our years together. Um, And that's escalation around customer service and de-escalation of the process, uh, when and how you step in and what the company's policies are around what that looks like. And it's a little bit different for every organization, depending on your policies, but your employees need to be prepared with that. As we keep going through this, if you haven't, listened, first of all, you are sad if after 12 months, you haven't figured out how to educate your employees on this. But if you haven't, we're potentially going into another spike, um, which is going to cause some issues. So definitely reach out. We can talk to you about something for your frontline customer-facing employees.
0: Totally. Next episode, we're talking about DE&I. So tune in and we're going to continue this conversation of just things that are essential for the organization for you to consider throughout the pandemic, post-pandemic, things you should have considered pre-pandemic and all that fun jazz. So stay tuned listeners until next time, bye.